Welcome to Identity Matters, digital identity and the evolution of the internet, a special InnovationOz.com video podcast series brought to you by Ping Identity. From debating access to anonymity issues in online culture wars to fighting cyber threats on the commercial internet or in the delivery of government services, identity impacts everyone. In this series, we will speak to a compelling list of experts to trace the global online trends that have helped frame digital identity and to understand the cyber landscape shifts that have shaped identity access management practices and zero-trust environments. Join us as we explore the philosophical and practical sides of identity, the fundamental issue at the heart of the internet. Welcome to Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet, a podcast series produced by InnovationOz.com in partnership with Ping Identity. My name is Corey McLeod and I'm the publisher of InnovationOz.com. Today I'm talking with Ashley Diffie, VP of Sales APAC in Japan for Ping Identity, and Jason Urundula-Davis, who's the founder of Hold Access, about the human inclusion of digital identity and design. Digital identity can pave the way to equitable, inclusive access to government support and services that all Australian needs. But this conversation is promising to be a fascinating exploration of what we're really talking about to make sure that everyone is included as we move towards more digital identity. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Harry. Sorry. Um, Jason, can I start with you? Um, you founded Hold Access, um, otherwise known as WUNA. Tell me a little bit about why you founded it. What was the challenge you saw that really needed attention? Yes. Yeah, so the first of all, um, I come from the land here of the Larrakia Nations, and I pay respect to the elders, past and present, um, with the, the within Australia, the First Nations people. Um, I'm from the Kalkaroon and Wanya Nation, and as a as an Indigenous man, I grew up experiencing this problem. And today I have family and communities that I interact with, engage with, who are constantly um, challenged by this same problem. And it's a, it's a repetitive cycle of dependency created out of um, the complexity of not actually solving this problem. So this, uh, I've, I've actually committed 30 years plus working in Indigenous policy, um, consultation, and as a, as a criminologist, and uh, with the Masters in Public Health, I uh, set out to to actually understand the what was going on around self-determination for First Nations people and underdocumented people throughout Australia and globally. I'm going to come back to you because that needs a lot of unpacking, but Ash, identity, how do we, how are organisations set up to think about identity? In multiple different, you know, we're not even we're not even talking. We're talking multitudes of different ways people identify um, with as you know their own personal life, the way they like to engage with technology. You know, what is it that you you're seeing in this space? And then we'll come back, Jason, to you because I'd love to get to the, how we kind of bridge you know bridge the gaps together a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a big question. Sorry, we've had a few discussions in this series about uh, decentralized identity and what Australia's done in the past around digital identity. And we haven't yet really landed on a single agreed digital identity for all. And um, 
we're seeing it all starting to converge now that we're having multiple platforms with Connect ID, we're having Gov IDs all starting to work together more effectively, um, which then takes it a step further away from the technology and the standards integration into how do we provide access for all, which is where I think it's a particularly interesting discussion. So, Jason, some of the um, – we've talked about identity in various, you know, guises and, you know, expressions over a long period of time. And, you know, particularly when we talk about the way that any individual engages with government, um, you, you sort of gave a, an overview before. What are, where are the areas – maybe culturally or even in terms of, um, you know, the physical access meeting, the digital access about where people might be not being considered in the way that we architect some of these frameworks that, that you see in your communities? Yeah, look, um, some, some of the major issues that have been going on for more than 250 years for First Nations people is is that the systems don't, don't understand or correlate with uh, First Nations culture. And the way that we identify ourselves in our own communities with our own people and our own languages, our own um, heritage, and you know this is a this is a concern because then you've got migrants moving into Australia and refugees. Uh, Australia is a multicultural society, so we have people of culture everywhere we we live, and they are also impacted through systems that that are not uh, inclusive of diversity. And when we say when we think of inclusion, we think of the two letters between inclusion, which is us. And inclusion means that it doesn't mean that one one group has all the opportunities and all the all the equity. It means that all of us have a shared inclusive participation across you know the space. So so we are an equitable society offering fair and honest opportunities for everybody. Um, and those benefits mean that the systems need to be aligned to all facets of uh, inclusion and, and not just um, benefiting um, the one, whether it's Indigenous with a particular uh, program or scheme that other non-Indigenous people don't have, or whether it's in the Westernised systems that, that are barriers to uh, First Nations accessibility. Ash, I'm going to ask you, these things always see like the individual versus scale, <laughs> and the scale part is always about being able to deliver things well when and as and how we need them and then holding the, the concept of the individual, us, and, and as diverse and as wide-ranging as that is. How do, you, how do you start thinking about getting those things right? Uh, well, Ping has had a long history of working with, uh, and this is really coming at it from a technology Standpoint first, and then we can move further to the right. I guess it's, you know, in terms of shifting left is about self self service, and right is about building things that can be um, you know architected appropriately for people. Um, so if you think about it in terms of shifting left, we want people to be able to self service as much as they can. Um, we've been in, in the identity space for over twenty years now. And we've built a lot of our technology around technology standards, so things can easily integrate with as many other things as possible. So our philosophy at its core is really about connecting any user to any application and then putting the right security controls and frictionless experience between those two things. Um, how do we include everyone? It's about being able to give everyone choice as much as possible without giving up the security posture to let them connect in their preferred manner. Jason, how, how are things looking like? This is obviously core to what you do and 
you, you pointed out other examples, you know, in terms of, you know, people migrating to Australia, cultural diversity. Um, I've also heard people talking about, you know, mental health and inclusivity. And then there's also, of course, people, you know, living situations. And when you're starting to digitize, you know, whole range of, you know, access to services, whatever they might be, or information. Are there other two questions? One, are we, how do we make sure we think about this to bring us along? And secondly, are we getting better at it? Like you mentioned 250 years. I mean, I remember back in the day, the Australia card, you know, like no way, you know, are we starting to be better at architecting, thinking to bring everybody along? Um, not really. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, um, you know, it, we, we've actually had the solution all along in Australia. It was, it's been here for more than 60,000 years. And it's where we actually come from as whole access. We, we, we build our technology around the ancient message stick. And the ancient message stick is a verifiable tool that um, was inclusive of all tribes and nations in Australia, whereby ceremonies and laws and languages were practiced. And these tribes all coexisted with unique languages, with unique uh, locations and experiences on one continent for for more than 60,000 years without wiping each other out. So it's a very powerful instrument that we that that you know has been left dormant but is still exercised in some of our remote regional locations in Australia. So we've we've used that and we've digitalized that so that people of culture are able to transverse the the, the many uh, barriers that exist around um, identification. But it's a holistic tool, and that's what's missing in the current day and age, the holistic approach to to where um, um, many of these people of culture live and reside. We, we, don't, we think very differently about our identity. We, we don't think of identity as this one, as, as one uh, uh, instrument to, to get access. We think about identity as a transaction with our capabilities and with our with our uh, all our cultural integrity associated with it. It just doesn't come with just one piece of documentation. It comes with a whole uh, facet of information that 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 can actually be used very well today to uh, reduce unconscious biases and, and and speed access and information flow between essential services. Where at the moment we have huge time constraints that that block barriers to information flow. We have um, people in regional and remote communities who are, who are blocked by access to to digital uh, inclusion. Uh, so there there are many ways that Indigenous people have been uh, Indigenous people as well as underdocumented people, diverse people of diverse backgrounds have have been locked out of systems uh, and and have resulted to uh, increased social determinants in health, employment, and multiple other uh, areas of where it becomes in a social burden. I, I find that fascinating, Peter. I've spoken to um, other Indigenous people who talk about, you know, regulatory frameworks and things when you're adopting new knowledge systems like AI, you know, the longest living culture. You, there's a lot of regulatory consideration built into culture over thousands of years and there's a lot to be learnt from that thinking. And when you know, this goes, I guess, to also a piece about consultation. This is kind of a conversation for both of you. 
um, when you're talking about emerging technologies and critical technologies of which identity is clearly one, how, how, do you, how do you consult and make sure that everyone's, I mean, this podcast would be an example, but um, Ash, what are the questions you need to be asking all the time and how does an organisation like Ping um, you know, be consistently asking the questions to make sure that we're consulting properly? Yeah, um, exactly why we're here, is that, you know, when I saw and met Jason a few weeks ago now, it was um, such a compelling uh, presentation around some of the challenges that we know exist out there, but we're not hearing a lot of it, or there's not enough exposure to it. So I, I personally reached out to Jason on that day and said, we'd love to know more. And I think the question we, as a global technology company, need to be asking, and, and we often do ask, is how does it not work? We know we know what works. We can build for those, you know, 80% of the cases and we can often build for more complex um, situations from a technology standpoint. We've, we've solved for a lot of that already. The thing we look, need to look for now is how what's not working for people and individuals and how are we providing for consent in those complex use cases where multiple um, things are connecting in and how do we make sure that that's being authorised and controlled in a reasonable manner? And again, it comes back to security posture. So it's great to hear um, stories and examples that Jason's sharing with us today about message stick, which is an, an ancient technology, but not in the sense that people think of technology today. Jason, maybe just for the benefit of this, talk us through a little bit more about that, because you've talked about looking through this sort of holistic lens, which sort of can you explain a bit more? It might kind of help reframe the way we're thinking about this in, you know, Indigenous culture. Yeah, so, so, I, so the way we, you know, take for instance my shirt, I have a bingo on my shirt. This is my um, my bush name, Wurundula. Wurundula means red nigga dreaming. My, I also have a tribal name, Mondialini, I have a birth name, Jason. I have um, uh, another name, Buddhari. Uh, and I have a skin name as well, which is Borangi. Um, uh, and you know the, these these common these these terms that, that we use are really special and sacred to us. These these names that we use, and and uh, and if you've noticed, like there are, there are people of culture who enter into Australia and they actually change their names to a to a Western name in order to to be easily understood by the Western systems or by by Western people. Um, because it's a common name, it's a common theme. So these are the these are the inequities that are experienced by Indigenous people, first of all, and and people of culture. They're, they're locked out of systems because we, the system doesn't value us. And when the system doesn't value us, you've got billions of people around the world without identification, and those billions of people without identity are people who uh, are then. Uh, uh, strains on those regional economies and and then cause uh, a whole lot of backlog of, of of information and services that essential services that don't reach people fairly and equitably. Opportunities are missed, but then we also miss scaling regional economies. And that then creates a burden on the whole of society when um, diversity um, unlocks are not are not clear. So holistic Holistic models for First Nations people with the message stick represents the ability for our our laws and cultures to be uh, assigned to us with our with our language names, with our with our totems, our skins, our our moities, and that then 
that then will travel with us wherever we go. And uh, as we interject with um, health services or other services, we then can be a full self in those sessions. And we're able to walk away all the better because we felt and we experienced the full inclusion of our capabilities and of our potential, which are very, very different um, profiles that we have in our own communities to the profiles we're seen by um, by in the in the normal um, westernized systems. Um, yeah, you can have someone who's an elder of high regard who who can command uh, thousands of people, but then you've got but that same person can be on the in a, in a line waiting at the at the end for hours and hours at Centrelink and not be given the same privileges or opportunities as what he might be accelerated as in, in his own regional community. So um, these these um, shifts in in uh, the way um, Indigenous people move through the system are, are are about what we call relationship chains, and relationship chains are what embodies um, the way uh, Indigenous people are able to and, and underdocumented people are able to uh, integrate into valued relationships with identity. And as we move um, further into digital identity, we we are unlocking um, a category for us to to reside, which is um, a uh, a reg tech for diversity conditions. And that will that will then allow the Westernized systems to understand. Okay, there is a place for this to sit and. We don't understand how it would work. This is how it can work. It can be placed on one where it exists, which is our diversity conditions. Uh, we have wraps, uh, reconciliation action plans. We have uh, global procurement requirements uh, on uh, social impact. We also have diversity conditions on with the Indigenous procurement policy. We have the um, closing the gap strategy, uh, which has KPIs on digital inclusion and and digital uh, informed choices, making digitally informed choices to self-determination. So uh, we also have banking um, services, codes and, and uh, requirements that require uh, institutions to provide services equitably to all people. And if they can't access verified identity from Indigenous people to access their accounts, then they're not providing adequate services to First Nations people, which fails in the, the banking codes. So. There's a real there's a real issue around compliance and and our research has indicated there have been millions of dollars in fines and and uh, criminal convictions based on these um, uh, breaches of the compliance requirements. So um, bringing us forward into this place uh, as a reg tech for diversity conditions um, gives us a, a more of an elevated pitch for companies to start engaging. But the thing is that you're doing this already, but we're just going to protect you more and we're going to create better social impact outcomes for you when you, when you do it this way. It's very interesting. As, you, as you're talking, Jason, I'm sort of thinking from like an identity perspective, you know, obvi- identity is often the first way that you would engage with an institution in a way that it has decided which bits of information about you are important. And when you were talking about your, you know, multiple sort of identities around your skin name and birth, I'm thinking if you're talking to a bank, chances are there's been movement in gender identity and then there might have been in married or unmarried married names. But apart from that, there's not a lot of scope. So identity as a tool to, I guess, push the conversation about the way people, where the systems, you know, take information. I guess 
that they they all need to change together, I guess. Ash, I'm keeping your thoughts on that. Yeah, and, and thanks again for sharing this with us, Jason. I mean, it's highly emotive hearing you speak about these things, and you know, I, I really feel you were speaking about an elder coming in and standing in the line in the, the Centrelink office, and not. Yeah, for me that that's a respect thing. That that elder deserves that respect because of their their standings in their society, and I think that we miss that. And um, all the things you talked about there, you know, we've got a lot of these great frameworks, and I've seen you know significant progress in the last ten years around organisations getting behind having a wrap in place and really making effort to uh, improve on what we do. There's still a very long way to go, and I, I want to see more meaningful. Um, teeth and steps in those programs. For us, uh, Corey, to answer your question, we can integrate technologies better than most identity organisations. So we've really invested heavily in being able to provide that connective tissue in the same way that Connect ID will let uh, individuals choose how they would like to be verified using which bank credential. Um, we can allow, we can enable organisations to allow uh, individuals to bring a form of identification that may be a self-sovereign or a digital wallet that's not part of the organisation that we're interacting with. And this this connecting tissue at the technology layer is where we see we've got a role um, to work with organisations such as Hold Access and the Wanacard to bring that into um, other technology platforms that haven't made those considerations. So I I'm certainly haven't seen uh, any you know, web form that's got enough spaces in that first field for all the names that you hold here, Jason. So we've, we've got a long way to go with it, but if we could at least get uh, some recognition and connectivity to who you are in your society so that you feel like a part of it. And, you know, I, one of the things you said that really pricked my ears up was, I think it was Corey, I think you said that organisations determine what information about my identity is of value. It's not really for an organisation to tell me what's valuable about my identity. I know who I am. I know my identity. Um, and this then goes to what are the identifiers, what are the common identifiers we want to recognise? And hearing Jason speak about the multiple names that have serious value and meaning to him and his people, we've got a long way to go to bring that into web forms and things that we've had for 20 years and they've just been first name, last name and address as an example. I think that that's the... That's where my mind goes hearing about that, but I think ultimately this comes down to a, a respect and recognition and peace. Yes, something you said um, about services and that, that maybe um, think about some of the stories of where I started from and, and what goes on currently. And um, if you think about underdocumented people, um, First Nations people who may be unemployed, maybe um, in in social welfare uh, dependency cycles, one of the one of the key indicators that, that that drive a lot of that has been third parties controlling information on behalf of individuals, and those central databases or or at times they've been held by by organisations set out to provide support for Indigenous people and and people who who are in need or or a crisis. And when we see um, these services holding on to this information and they no longer uh, have um, uh, recurrent funding in these programs, they can take all that information with them, leaving the individual to restart that journey over again to 
to collect the documentation. From our pilots and research, we actually discovered that you know, nine in ten people weren't using emails for correspondence, which you know this is a universal tool we use now for for opportunities and in in uh, and it's a universal correspondence system globally. So there's that as well as uh, when we approached organisations, we realised that that it wasn't just one. Uh, it wasn't just once annually that documents were being replaced. It was happening every time they saw the person. So if you think about that, you think about the cost on the person, the cost on the organisation, the amount of work that the organisation has to go through to recover those documents on behalf of the individual, particularly if the individual lives in a remote or regional setting with overcrowded housing, um, no digital access or digital devices with digital devices are being shared and passed around uh, where privacy information is held on it. The, the current systems don't, don't work in that way. And and your, your data is at risk when you've got a native app and, and they're sitting on, on your mobile phone. Or, so these forms of identification are, are redundant in this particular, in these particular cohorts or these groups. So by, by, by understanding what the compliance requirements are in, and reforming the conditions on procurement where third-party services are not are not controlling information anymore on behalf of people, that they're handing it over to people, that they've got a way of do it, delivering that in, and making it possible for people to actually utilise their information more effectively in the way that they choose so they can make informed choices without having a third party go to a third party and feeling that you're a second party to yourself and they are you. But effectively, it's, it means taking control of your own information and making informed choices, which is what WANA stands for. So what, we're, what, what we see is that the importance of, of our digital identity is digital self-determination, the move towards digital self-determination, and not just a move towards accessing a bank or a, or a, or a, um, or, or a retail service. It actually means a holistic approach to Inclusion with all essential services, and this is this is the space that we've been we we own and we, we've been leading in here, uh, and 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 we have we have a full understanding of the deep dive into that space, um, particularly through all those different names of cultural information, your culture and heritage, family lines, all this sort of information represents the ways that you identify. I won't keep going because I'll, I'll be here all day. So no, I've got a lot, of questions. I've got a lot of questions, but we're running out of time. I'm just going to ask both of you, um, we're coming up to the digital, identity leg- digital identification legislation uh, expected to be presented to Parliament by 2023, end of 2023. Um, you know, in a snapshot, what are the things, you've mentioned a lot of you know, different kind of lenses, Jason. Ash, I'll start with you. What are kind of two or three things that we really need to be thinking about around legislation around identity, and then, Jason, the, the key things to focus on that will help shift the needle on the others. But Ash, I'll start with you. Sure, thanks. All right. Um, we, we've talked about it a lot today, inclusion, the inclusion of everybody. I think uh, you talked about it earlier, Corey, that we've seen some advances in some areas, and then other areas are still laying behind. I think inclusion needs to be for everybody, just the nature of what it is and it should be. Um, I think the speed at which our legislation is coming, you know, never fast enough, and that's not criticising any of our government officials. It's just this needs to be yesterday. 
Uh, and for me personally, the fundamentals of how we treat digital identities needs to be, you know, a secure posture. So we need to verify, we need to authenticate always, and we need to authorise. And that last piece around authorising is both for parents, children, sporting groups, families, governments, all of it. And then, of course, we've got to solve for those use cases that we haven't as an, as a nation really figured out is when there is a shared digital device across an uh, Indigenous community, it's just a different way of interacting with these systems. So we've got to solve for that as well. Jason, where should the focus be? Like what's going to create the best, you know, outcomes fastest? Look, I think um, where we start with inclusion is, is, is critical. And inclusion means that, you know, having a... Also, um, having a diverse way of identifying, it doesn't need to be, it shouldn't need to be just a one-way um, solution that fits all. As we know, um, you know, if, if you're a government body and you're you're using a one practice that, and and not inclusive of all other ways of identification, you can you can really um, miss a whole population of people when you do that. So, so one is using diverse ways of identification. That can be vendors, that can be um, culture and heritage, it can be all sorts of ways. But for First Nations and Indigenous people, it's, it's a very different approach and that needs to be given credence and validation. The second way is is to better um, regulate compliance requirements around this particular space so that these diversity conditions can be met with with um, greater standards that, that, are, that are actually... Um, tracing and tracking these sort of um, efforts to be more inclusive. Um, it's not just a document on the shelf that, that sits in, in, and gathers stuff. It, it shows how we're doing something for our society, but it, it actually becomes a meaningful, practical tool that can actually move society forward and can, can realise the potential of many underdocumented people and people of culture who, who have been consistently locked out um, of identity. And for us, the third way, the third um, way for us um, is to have a consistent form of Aboriginality for for First Nations people. There are there is a there is a uh, a certificate called a certificate called Aboriginality Identification Certification, and this particular Aboriginality form has been used for for a long time now, uh, decades and decades, but it's inconsistent. And it's not, um, and, and there are, it's problematic to say the least. So we are actually um, improving that particular space and systemising the way Aboriginality is is verified and authenticated. And that particular approach um, should be looked at and realised um, that there are other ways of delivering on that particular space for compliance and and all the all the many facets of of fraud and that, that go on and the potential risks associated when um, people disguise themselves as First Nations people. Um, they were able to penetrate weak, outdated systems that are, are not systemised but that are easily easily duplicated. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a problem for not just for First Nations people but it's a problem for Australia. There is a lot, lot to think about, and there's a lot of improvement needed. Uh, I think we keep talking about it, um, and as such, you've been very generous with your time. 
Uh, Jason Orandula Davis, thank you so much for sharing that insight. It's actually incredibly generous of you. Thank you. Um, Ashley Diffie, thank you so much. Um, it's been great to talk to both of you and um, talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, guys. See you later. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Identity Matters, Digital Identity and the Evolution of the Internet Video Podcast Series brought to you by Ping Identity. For more, keep tuning in to innovationoz.com forward slash podcasts or visit pingidentity.com.